Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How you doing, Internet? It is August 18th, 2017, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio. Austin is taking a summer Friday, and I am very glad that he's taking a summer Friday. That is a man who needs a summer Friday, let me tell you. So, uh... Plus, now we run this joint. Get the fuck out, Austin! (laughs) That's right, we, uh, hostile takeover. Time to finally be honest on this podcast. We're gonna be honest about, uh... About Sonic. I love about, anime. About, oh my god, it's a revelation. Patrick Klepek loves anime. You heard it here first. Man, here on Waypoint Radio. You see, saw this, you see someone drew me as a minion. The oh. fuck is this shit? Someone drew you as a minion? Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't oh, like it. wow. That's, That's a tough caricature. Do minions have hair? They do now. <laughs> okay. This one does, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Well... All right, I'm Danielle Riendo. You're hearing the voices of Patrick Klepek. Hello. Oh, I was Patrick Klepek, the minion. I guess that's how oh. we should introduce you. Yeah, no? probably. That's fine. That's I'll just, right. I just embrace my new. This is who I am now. This is who I am. Your minionhood. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably gonna see those movies like nine thousand times in the next couple of years. So whatever. Oh, Not God. if you never show them to your child. Like th- this is the thing. Right. Like right. just control access. Like. Give them the good ch- like movies that you can bear seeing again and again. Yeah, Mo- Moana. But never show I go, them. I can watch Moana a million times. Yeah, Moana's great. There you go. Yeah. I love that soundtrack. There you go. But you just you can't like you can't once you open the arc where they keep cars, <laughs> like you're fucked. I can't. No, I can't. I refuse to do cars. I refuse. I refuse to do cars. I can't do That's it. Fair. Be like, hey, sweetie. You know what's good? Ratatouille. Let's watch Ratatouille <laughs> yes. again. See, Pixar mostly makes good things. That, let's uh, that you let's can watch totally the Iron enjoy. Giant. That's a little bit sad too. Yeah, there's some weight there. There's some weight with that giant mech guy. He's sad. Yeah, it's, it's so. that's very good. Oh no, honey, Wally just ends when the humans show up. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the end of that movie. Hey, that movie. Everyone's has a, fine. It has a hopeful message at the very end as that's well. True. It's it's pretty hopeful. They they return to the Earth. You know, it's spoilers for a ten year old movie. Nine-year-old movie. I remember that. I know. I know what's up. I know when these movies came out. All right. So, uh, I want to talk about something very real. I want to talk about something that is heartfelt. Mm. Apparently, it's a very heartfelt, surprisingly heartfelt thing, and that is the Madden single-player mode. Yeah, Patrick. the long, the long shot. Uh, there is uh, the for the past was like maybe three, two or three years. Like uh, the EA has slowly been adding sort of like single player campaign type things to their sports games like i think 
Is FIFA the well, FIFA FIFA is getting one. it this year, or maybe is no, it... no, no. They've already had it. Okay, so the, the, the NBA so what, game what has had with it for FIFA. a year or two or something. Well, the NBA game NBA game hasn't been around oh, for right. EA's. I'm like, it was two K's NBA game. Spike, yeah, Spike, so they had the Spike, Spike Lee Jones. joint. Spike Lee joint. Right. Yeah. I almost said that Spike was ama- That was like bananas, if I remember correctly. I didn't really play it, but <laughs> Look, I, I saw it. <laughs> whatever you've heard about it. It's weirder than you think. Like oh, I eventually like looked it up on YouTube. I was like, "Come on, this has to be overstated." It is, if anything, understated. Like I thought, Alex Navarro's like uh, stream of consciousness, right. like experience of it, was like overstated. I was like, "There's no way this is true." I looked at it, and no, literally, like it is. Every bit is strange and weird, and does conclude with a mocapped ad- actor reading like a 25 minute printed monologue that's how that ends like somebody was like yep that's good chip it (laughs) that's amazing well apparently the madden one is like more grounded in heartfelt that's that's what i'm hearing from people that's what i've i've been reading do video games finally have their friday night lights patrick well there's straight up a character from friday night lights or an actor (laughs) wait really Uh, oh what, what character did he play in uh Oh, it's uh, the it's the kid. It's not a spoiler. It's from the first episode, but I forget the name of the character who uh, gets injured and is in a wheelchair. Adam, um, right? I think it's Adam. Is it not Adam? He looks like an Adam. I can't. <laughs> it's the guy. Yeah, it's the. I don't want to define this character by the. I mean, yeah, right. the guy. Yeah, he gets injured in the in the beginning. Matt Saracen takes over. I don't know why I can't remember what his name is, but that actor who is a big video game fan, like he's. Like been on a bunch of like IGN stuff and, and things. Um, oh, cool! He uh, he is one of the main characters in yeah, Longshot. Longshot is uh, it's called Longshot because the premise of the single player in uh, in the new Madden game is uh, two uh, guys who go out to um, one of the regional combines. Um, so like the combines for people who don't follow football are like these events where players go and they run various drills and they're like measured and physicals. And that's where you hear like, Oh, we ran like a blank blank on a 40, you know, like uh, on a dash. And they, they get measured in all these different sort of uh, things that scouts use to try and determine sort of the draft, like where they are going to fall in the draft coming a a couple months later. Um, And usually like a lot of the top prospects go there, but then it's also possible for you like to just sort of walk on and like prove yourself. uh, Even if you're not, uh, one of those folks that's like coming out of college, and of course you're going to be in the draft. It's just a matter of like you're in the first round or the fourth round or whatever. Um, so these two guys, one a wide receiver and one a quarterback, um, who are, come from like a very rural Friday night light sort of town. Like the music often, it's not quite ripping off explosions in the sky, but they're like they're going for a similar <laughs> vibe. Um, and uh, the the main character, the quarterback who you're playing as, um, he uh, like lost his mother and his father. Um, he, uh, like had, like he has like this incident that I want to go into, um, <laughs> in which he, he ends up walking away from football. He was going to be a top prospect and then just has like a meltdown over a series of a couple of games. And then rather than facing that, he uh, just quits, uh, in, entirely. Um, but then is convinced by his buddy who was like his wide receiver, like he was the wide receiver that he, you know, he could always count on in every game. Um, and uh, he drags him out to this combine and he does really well and then gets uh, not only uh, other scouts there from NFL teams, but uh, there are these talent scouts that are putting together this show called Longshot. And it's a reality show in which um, 
you get paired with a ex NFL coach and like these facilities. And basically, they want to try and take uh, sort of a, a raw, rough prospect that uh, and kind of like, give him if they if you gave him all the training and all the experience around him, like can you turn him in to somebody who gets uh, picked up on draft day? Um, huh. And so that's sort of like the the setup for this. There's a sort of reality show element which explains like why you're in various football drills and stuff like that. And uh, then there are like these character moments. Like, the, you know, one thing that happens often in the NFL draft is uh, they, they're called intangibles, uh, uh, to use like a shitty NFL term, but it's sort of like <laughs> the things that aren't uh, necessarily about your raw talent or skills uh, or experience. Um, this often speaks to like character traits, uh, like leadership or how you handle yourself on like social media. Um, mm. Like famously, uh, in the last two NFL drafts, there have been uh, top five, like would be picked in the in the in the top five prospects that have fallen out because of things they've been uh, accused of or things that have been on social media. Sometimes that is really really bad shit, like accusations of uh, like physical assaults and, and things like that. But uh, two years ago, there was famously um, a guy who some video of him ripping on a bong with a gas mask on. Uh, dropped him precipitously uh, in uh, the in the draft, um, and so this game, uh, the, the long shot has like some moments like this. Where, like for example, uh, you pull off onto the side of the road when you're uh, headed to to the combine, and uh, you can film your buddy like taking a piss on the side of the road to screw with him <laughs> um, or not. And like the implication there is that that has an impact on the scouting report because that'll be on social media. They'll find it. That was like some quote unquote, some reflection on your character um, because this is partnered with the NFL. They're not going to do the actual things that right. end up becoming these character traits that like force someone to fall in the draft order on draft day. It's going to be a, a, a like a lame video about peeing as opposed to like what actually ends up happening, which is usually like accusations of like sexual or physical assault. Right. Or, yeah. like, someone ripping into a bong, which actually shouldn't have dropped during the draft because the NFL needs yeah, to I mean, fucking get over its marijuana problem. Right. Mm. Well, except, but the NFL is, like, about controlling its players. Yes. And I think that's the, like, does the game uncritically adopt this this framing of these character issues, right? Because, like, Nick Capizzoli, uh freelance writer and noted friend subterfuge dirtbag. Friend bag, of the show, but also um, frenemy of the show because of what he did to you during uh, subterfuge. <laughs> yeah, he's, right? he's, yeah, he's a good bad dude. <laughs> Uh, but he, but he wrote a really good post about uh, you know career modes and how they sort of present uh, those character issues and how there's often this like really racially charged component of that right like what is acceptable behavior versus right. what is not is often in the eyes of rich conservative white ownership uh, and not necessarily the players themselves. I'm just curious like does Longshot acknowledge that reality that like a lot of what you're going to get dinged for is fundamentally trivial bullshit. Uh, I mean, yes and no. Um, uh, it, it's certainly like the, the moments where it's going on, like the couple of moments early on that can go on your record for sort of your, like your scouting report are one that this, like this, yeah, pulling over the side of the road and, uh, deciding to, to film your friend while the, while he's pissing, or it's like live streaming in front of the, uh, the the combine logo when you should be going in and getting registered like it's all kind of it, it, the acts themselves are trivial um, and aren't given that much weight and I don't know it's hard to tell like is that is the game making commentary on how trivial bullshit is actually used to uh, sort of like 
ruin draft prospects and where they should go in the draft? Or are they not actually including the more legitimate scenarios that have impacted these players because, well, the NFL has to approve all this stuff because their logos are there and they're not going to allow electronic arts to put in, uh, uh, some dudes, uh, you know, ripping into a bong and getting dinged for it on draft day because that is uh, uh, the, the the NFL has regressive policies in regards to to drugs that you know, like it's not going to point out contradictions in the NFL. Like, there's no there's no discussion of concussions in uh, in long <laughs> shot, but like yeah. the main the main character um, is black and his best friend is is white. Um, it doesn't really get into racial dynamics uh, that much, which is fine. Like just because. The character is black doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be a, a story about race, but I that's also like you can't really talk about the NFL without like talking about, <laughs> about race uh, either. Um, but uh, it's it's charming, I guess is what I would say. Uh, it, it is surprisingly emotional at times, uh, and uh, furthermore, like even separated from the story, they treat like this kid has raw talent, um, and they make that clear up front, but like like little understanding of how to play football. Like there's a moment, Rob, where like they, they ask you to identify like players in uh, positions like this, this coach is asking like, Hey, where's the safety? And then like, you can get that wrong. And it's like no kid that is actually going to have made it this far or have been like a QB (laughs) in college, like can't identify, but they play hit. What they do is they're doing this narrative trick where they are, they're making him seem less intelligent about the the game of football. They call this football IQ. I used another really lame NFL term that gets bandied <laughs> out about, uh, uh, bandied around about. Um, but uh, they they play him down as less intelligent and justify it by narratively he was gone from the game from a couple of years, so that it actually functions as like a really interesting tutorial for like the more nuanced aspects of how NFL plays work out, where they'll sit down and break down for you like why you are throwing to different wide receivers based on the coverage you're seeing in front of you, like what the linebacker is doing or what the safety is doing. And as someone that watches a lot of football and like knows the difference between a cornerback and a safety, like I still don't know what like a nickel package is. And like this game walks you through sort of the framework Mm -hmm. of a football game in a way that I found like super interesting and actually came away from it learning more about the game in a way that will tangibly impact my ability to enjoy watching NFL if I try and forget all the problems I have with concussions and the other <laughs> things that are really yeah. bad about the NFL. But in terms of like the raw game, that, Longshot does a, a, a remarkable job of actually getting you to understand the, the intricacies other than just, hey, hit X, you know, triangle or circle based on the guy who looks like he's open. That is really cool. And and that you just kind of sold me right there with yeah with like the I wouldn't sort of... buy I wouldn't buy this game for it it's like a f- three hours long four hours long like we're not talking about something that's it, it, it's it, it's a value add to this game right right but if there was they should sell long shot by itself like if this was yeah. a if this was a fifteen dollar little thing I think a lot of people would be into it that would not like I'm not gonna play the rest of Madden I'm not gonna play a season <laughs> like I'm not gonna do any of that stuff. Uh, like, but I enjoyed Longshot. I would have liked it if it was twice as long. I would have loved if it followed his career past draft day, um, and there was more of that sort of. Well, does it feel like it's over? Because what they did with FIFA is that it's an ongoing story, right? That right. like the first year was sort of the origins of Alex, whatever his name is, and then this year uh, you're sort of seeing his fall from 
not fall from stardom, but like definitely he makes some career decisions that like come across badly. Does it feel like Longshot is going to be continuing the career saga of this character? Uh, they allow you to like plug him into, I forget what it says at the end, but like there's it, the actual story mode where you're like getting cutscenes and like they're telling a very specific narrative like that disappears once you finish like this three to four hour chunk. And then you can just like take that character forward into like an NFL season. I don't know how yeah. that would be possible based on how my draft day went. I didn't go as well as I wanted to. And <laughs> apparently I, I, I don't know what the very, I don't know like what the variety is there. My understanding is like, there's a lot of different ways that draft day can, can go. Um, my, my guides, he, yeah, he could have done better. Oh, no. He could have done better. But it was like, it was very appropriate and what? touching. Like the arc of how draft day went for him felt in line with the character I played and the ups and downs I had in like performing the challenges that were asked of me. And uh, yeah, it's just, I really, I really wish they would split this out and let people play it or, um, just straight up like there's like a world where they could start splitting Madden in two in some ways where it's like the, there's like a f- three hour single player trial in here, but like there's a much larger sports game. Like, I think they're on to something here. Like I, I have not played a Madden game in eight years and <laughs> I just played four hours, enjoyed it and want to play more. I just don't want to go play a season or like if I'm going to play yeah. a season, I want it wrapped in a context that is more than just uh, the games themselves because it's, this is flawed. It's it's kind of hokey, um, and you don't have a lot of impact on the story. But it, they're on to something that gripped me in a way that I would like to see them do more of it. Isn't it a lot of the draw for? Again, I am I am not like a mega fan of football. I enjoy mm-hmm. it. I am sure. interested in it, and I'm definitely. I've always been sort of looking for another hook. And it sounds like this could actually be amazing for me to understand the nuances of the game because. I like I, a lot of people are pretty grossed out by a lot of NFL culture stuff. Yeah, obviously. Um, Should but be. find the game itself really, right. really interesting and exciting. Obviously, uh, isn't that part of the draw for watching a lot of games for a lot of fans? Is you know you have players that you like, you have teams that you like. Obviously, you want to follow that. You want that hook to sort of mm-hmm. keep you invested in the game itself. Or am I misreading I certain types of fandom? Interesting. Like no, I, I think like and. This is just my, my take on it, and you disagree, Patrick, but, like, I kind of feel, with the exception of a few players who are allowed to become, like, mega stars, like, you know, your Tom Brady's, your Peyton Manning's, who are, like, you know, they become major storylines in and of themselves, uh, or even someone like Jay Cutler, right, it becomes a, a character <laughs> for a different reason, right, it's a different <laughs> sort of story that, like, people are fascinated by, uh, but the outside of the quarterback position, the game, like, football makes it really hard for players to sort of stand out and emerge as personalities. Like, they wear the masks conduct the guidelines. whole time. You're right, like, yeah. And like they that. didn't used to. They, but they've really shut down on, like, now you cannot remove your, your helmet, like, on the field of play. And partly that, like, that was passed as a safety thing. But, like, the the real thing that the, the NFL has pushed aggressively for years and years is to de-individualize players and make the team, what they call the shield, right? The NFL shield. Mm-hmm. Make the logo, the team, the, or the, the league, the face of football, and make the players as interchangeable and faceless as possible, which is not... It was not that was not a neutral thing, right? That was like yeah. intentionally done. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I I definitely agree with that. Um, and but yeah, and the, the, e- even if you were to separate the the NFL's politics, 
um, outside of that, like, because you just, you know, it's why, you know, things like, you know, basketball, there are so many players that are known, even to people through cultural osmosis, is because it's a much more intimate game, like, because you can identify, it's a smaller pool of players, but also you can see the players, so they become characters in of themselves, and that's just not true of football, like, there are a lot of people on the field, they're all in masks, and the only person that matters on every single play is the quarterback so a lot of people through cultural osmosis understand different quarterbacks and could name them even if they're not a big fan of football but uh yeah there's that it's just kind of the nature of football kind of anonymizes players both from a political stance and then also just by the nature of like how, how the game has gone from a from a safety perspective but yeah it's uh i mean like i even i never knew how plays were structured like in the sense of like the code words and why there are five <laughs> code words attached to a play and like each of those is a reference to a different part. It's just, yeah, it's just fascinating. Like, as someone, I, I think lots of people that watch football don't actually care about the mechanics of football, and it's more of a tribal thing um, or, or a familial uh, sort of, like, cultural thing. Um, but I, it, especially as someone that plays, you know, games and likes understanding systems, uh, it's, it's, and I never played football growing up, uh, It is it is fascinating now to have a little better understanding of, like, what everyone is yelling and realizing like, Oh, the third part of that it tells the wide receiver, which way to line up. And yeah. So long shot, interesting. I would well worth playing if you're in, if you're buying Madden anyway, um, I hope they split it out. They probably won't. Uh, but if that game gets cheaper down the line, it's like, it's probably worth, or it's worth watching a YouTube let's play of like to, to see what, what, what it's about. Yeah, definitely. Rob, I know you've been wading into uh, a couple of different, uh, different seas here. I've heard a little bit about this uh, total warm hammer business that you've been warm into. hammer total warm, warm hammer. hammer. It's warm hammer. You have to warm up your hammer. It's like how you make a sword. You know, you warm it oh, up. Oh, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's called, right? It's it's like quap, but for metal forging. Yeah, there you absolutely. Go. Yeah, warm hammer. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I've I've gone back to uh, total war warhammer uh, because they just so. I have mixed feelings about this, mm-hmm. but there has never been a Total War game where Creative Assembly embraced microtransactions so aggressively. Mm. Um, and so, like, when the game originally launched, every Total War game has a grand campaign. This was probably the least grand-feeling grand campaign I've ever played in the series, where, like, the map just felt kind of small and compressed, and, it like, no sooner had you sort of expanded a little bit of your territory then you were like really sort of pushing up against other factions and then sort of end game events were triggering yeah so it just felt like kind of the uh, proverbial knife fight in a phone booth uh <laughs> and i'm just picturing this with orcs is is why i'm laughing oh yeah like, i see just... two orcs in a phone booth trying to knife each other and, and snot on each other and it's a very amusing image yeah it's basically how the the game felt at launch and it was fun i liked it uh didn't, but hey didn't the didn't the last game have like some dlc problems where like they were like hasn't hasn't haven't they like had some issues the last couple of years as they've tried to incorporate additional revenue streams into their game and like run into a lot of fucking problems with their community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of that comes from, they used to do like, they used to do a lot of standalone expansions. Um, so, you know, Rome, Rome two begets Attila It's a separate game, but it still feels like of a piece with Rome. Uh, but then they would also have a lot of like small DLCs. And a lot of these were, uh, maybe too small. 
uh, feeling, right? Where it would like unlock a faction for you, but it wasn't that exciting, or uh, you'd unlock a special unit for a faction. Uh, so, like in Total War, for instance, there was like you could un- like in Total War, uh, in Empire Total War, you could unlock the Death's Head Hussars or something like that. This this one regiment that served uh, the Prussians in the 1700s. And you'd like pay a few bucks for like a unit pack with these four regiments that probably maybe don't mean anything to you, and it just feels kind of like small time and 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 shitty. Um, with Total War Warhammer, they've kind of tried everything uh, all at once, <laughs> and so some of it's really clever. Like they've rolled out new expansions, uh, new 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 factions, and each faction, the major faction expansions also include like a little mini campaign uh, for that faction. So there's like a little bespoke uh, piece of content for that faction. And then also that faction is now part of the original grand campaign. And so over time, this game has gotten a whole lot bigger. There are now multiple campaigns where there used to be just like one overarching campaign. And there's a bunch more factions packed into this world, which is probably two or three times bigger than it originally was. And it also got a little out of hand uh, because as they added all this stuff in, they didn't necessarily balance it well as they went. Mm-hmm. So they just released a major uh, a major update called the Foundation Update that basically retools every faction and how they balance against each other and how that camp- the grand campaign map is is set up. And so I decided, like, hell, let's let's see how much this game has changed. And it does legitimately feel like an entirely new game. Now I bought some of that some of that DLC in the meantime. So you know, I, I wasn't starting from the base set in in Warhammer, but uh to give you an example like so I started a new campaign and there was a new clan of dwarves uh, basically that I could choose to play. Uh and basically their whole faction gimmick is that they're kind of um the dwarves of Moria, I guess, is the way you'd put it. Like they've been driven out from like the most glorious ancestral home of of dwarf kind, and so they're just like pissed about it. They're so pissed that a bunch of their dead heroes and kings have come back from the dead as ghosts to come like fuck up goblins. And <laughs> your whole mission is to basically go to your old ancestral home, kick the shit out of the goblins that are there. <laughs> And then start like a new glorious dwarf empire. But in the meantime, everyone is so angry uh, that your army can kind of just kind of has to fight on the move. You can't pause and build up because your upkeep costs are super high uh, since you're you basically have no homeland. And so it's really like it's completely different. Like I played I played a different dwarf game when the game came out, a different faction. These guys feel completely different. Uh, the ghost dwarves are pretty cool i'm not gonna lie like they look cool they're really badass um but the big thing is the map is like the 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 game board is completely different and so you start the game and i was used to used to the game looking one way and now it's like oh this has gotten you know several times more complicated uh than it used to be and there's a a hell of a lot of new stuff that i've never seen before uh and so it's really cool going back to it because it kind of feels like it's finally delivering on the promise of Total War Warhammer. On the other hand, where I get ambivalent is 
they've got so like it was originally a sixty dollar game. If you want everything that's in that game, and I I do not feel that original offer was particularly generous. So it's not like I'm sitting here like, oh, you got your money's worth with your you know everything else is just right, gravy. Right, yeah. Yeah. I kind of felt like the original game was a little bit um, claustrophobic, uh, a little bit thin on the ground. And to get all this new stuff, if you want it, it's not all of, it's all of varying quality. So, you, you know, you kind of have to do a little research as you buy it. But it does kind of feel like the situation where you buy the game twice. And I know why, like, obviously, this is there are a lot of good reasons why games have gone this direction. But at the same time, like, when you launch into this game, if you haven't played it in a while, the first thing that happens is the game starts hitting you with all these notifications. Like, you know, you can buy this, this, and this. You want to leave <laughs> the game and go figure out what the hell we're trying to sell you? Sure, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> oh, God. It sounds like they should have gone the No Man's Sky route, potentially, of, you know, sort of quietly overhauling things and just adding things in and being like, here, we made it better. Look, we did it. Look, yeah, this is like a hardcore established community. I think that's why the, there's yeah. the, the grievance here, right? Like, it's like they were bought, Creative Assembly was bought by Sega at this point, what, like a decade ago? Like, it's been it's been a number of years, yeah. Um. But, like, in the last couple of years, as Sega has gotten more and more into the PC community, like, and, and rather successfully, you know, like, they, you know, some good PC ports, and, you know, they've basically left Creative Assembly alone, but it's, like, this has quietly become, like, kind of a shitstorm for them, where they, I, like, it's hard to tell, like, are they just fucking up the implementation? Like, is, like, is there a way for them to do this? Like, it's... But they they seem well, to be create like they they're clearly making good games still, but they're creating a lot of uh, bad uh, feelings like along the way in the pursuit of money. Yeah, but I don't know if anybody can really make a an extensive DLC plan look and feel successful. Like Paradox have done it pretty effectively, but if you follow the conversations that happen around Paradox online a lot. Uh, they get dragged for for their DLC packs a ton uh, by their community. And to a degree, this does feel like it's become the price of doing business, right? Like, uh, you know, they complain, but they buy. And that's kind of where this has ended up. Is they wouldn't is, keep doing it if people weren't if they weren't making money out of it. Like they would stop the business. Like, like they wouldn't do these DLC packages a second time if it wasn't profitable the first time. And so people, yeah, you're right. Like people complain, but they're buying the stuff, which is, I mean, if you're a fan, like I get the conundrum you're in. Like if you want that race or if you want, you know, like that's just a thing you have to do, but it creates a reward structure that is just going to keep, you know, the, the fury may rise up, but well, the next thing comes around and it's going to be the same idea. Just tweaked a little bit. It's also a little bit of a weird look around Warhammer specifically because there is that Games Workshop uh, history and reputation that mm -hmm. goes with it where uh, Games Workshop, like, again, people enjoy their properties but, like, kind of hate that company in a lot of ways because it was a really, uh, you know, avaricious and, uh, you know, stingy stingy company. And so I think, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate... Of some of their games... For the completely uninitiated, what a... Like, oh, yeah, like, Games Warhammer. Workshop equals all things Warhammer. Uh, okay, so, gotcha. Warhammer 40K, um, Chaos in the Old World, uh, War well, they did some partnerships with Fantasy Flight, uh, but yeah, so, like, Games Workshop is the Warhammer company, uh, gotcha. basically. They make other games that are sort of Warhammer adjacent, but, like, if you boil it down, like, it's, it's all about Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40K. 
Um, and the reputation they developed is that they would basically overcharge overcharge you for everything. Mm. Uh, they were very much they were not even like a first hit is free kind of business model. It was more <laughs> first hit is like reasonable but still like kind of pricey and then to do anything with it you start like paying through the nose um so it was very much like rich kids and increasingly probably uh rich middle-aged dudes uh toys and so having this dlc model come up around total war warhammer is definitely going to evoke some of those memories of like how much games workshop sometimes destroyed uh, the goodwill and the fun of being a Warhammer fan. If you want to know more about this, by the way, like Ian Williams wrote a great piece about this around the uh, release of Warhammer 40K's 8th edition rule set. And he's in on one level talking about Warhammer 40K as it exists, as, as it exists now, but then he's also looking at it from where this update exists in Games Workshop history. Uh, so he, he's been part of that scene. He's been way more part of that scene than I am. Uh, but it's a good article that gives you a lot of the sort of kind of crappy background around uh, Warhammer. Nice. But the game's cool, man. I got I got Ghost Dwarves, and they're like just Wait, kicking the shit out of goblins. Stop! Why the fuck didn't you start with that? Ghost I Dwarves. I mentioned they're so angry. Dumb, they're dumb, they're dumb, so because... angry. They're back. <laughs> oh, what kind of powers do these Ghost Dwarves have? Um, one appears to have like a giant ass shotgun. That he just like unloads okay. and herd of goblins. Uh-huh. Um, no, like actual specific ghost powers. No, they're basically just like ghost skins on dudes. Uh, uh, yeah, it's yeah. No, they're not like they occupy physical space, and mm. yeah, they're basically like you know just ghostly looking like standard dwarf heroes. But okay. it's still pretty cool. Yeah, sell that. Sell that as an expansion. Give me some more ghost power. Go- the ghost powers <laughs> DLC. It's rare that a game is not to benefit from ghosts. You know, I'm sure there's a few out there that wouldn't, but I don't know. Ghosts the original are... Fear did not benefit from ghosts. I feel confident go. saying yeah, that. Like, Monolith's yeah, Fear, better pre-ghosts. Like I said, there's exceptions to this rule. I, I, made, the, I made the room for exceptions for this, for sure. But, uh, yeah, ghosts are, ghosts are pretty cool. So, um... I want to talk a little bit about one game that I've been playing, and then I want to—I don't want to close out our talking about game section with a, a beautiful adventure that Patrick, I know you're having as well. But I, I briefly want to note a game called Observer that I've been playing. Yeah, is, I need—I need to play that. Yeah, it is. Oh man, it's awesome and incredibly dark and actually pretty scary. I didn't um, realize this is the Layers of Fear studio, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And Team Bloober Bloober Team, I think actually, they have a really interesting history. So they're uh the first game I became aware of that they made was a horrible Bomberman clone for the PS4 launch that they later um it's called Basement Crawl, but they later sort of remade right. their own game. They remade their own game into like a really good Bomberman clone for the PS4 <laughs> and then made Layers of Fear, which is like, whoa, that's interesting. They made like this sort of PT style uh but not PT um themed really, but like, you know, after after a fashion of PT where it's just walking around and looking at things in a in a horror environment basically. But much more um 
<laughs> melodramatic, I guess you would say. <laughs> this story was very out there. Now, I heard this. mixed things about that, too. Like, that's one reason I think sure. this flew under my radar. Yeah, I, did, I, did, I played maybe 90 minutes of Layers of Fear, and it did, like, very little for me. It felt like it was playing in a sandbox that I'd seen like the haunted i'd seen all those like it artistically it looked gorgeous but the uh sort of haunted house motifs it was playing with was like ah i mean obviously i'm as cynical and burned as they come when it comes to (laughs) horror like it takes a lot but it also like also means like yo you gotta come at me with your a game if you're gonna put this haunted house bullshit in front of me um and so i it showed a lot of promise i just i had never ended up playing more than like 90 minutes because it just didn't do a lot for me but i've heard really good things about do you want to like set up like i know it's like cyberpunk horror absolutely what what does that mean so well first first thing you need to know about it rucker Hauer is the voice of the protagonist well then you can just stop there everyone should just go all you need to know (laughs) all you need to know well it's in this very very dark i i want to say blade runner but like 40 shades darker universe a cyberpunk universe where uh, there was a horrible war, there was a horrible plague, and now a corporation, of course, runs the government and uh, basically keeps its citizens in extreme social stratification. There, You have to go to a Class C apartment where the Class C citizens live because you got a weird call from your son, and you are like a cop. You are basically, you're an observer, which means you have certain cybernetic enhancements that let you do detective work. That, so there's, that's sort of the fiction. You go to this apartment building, and of course it's falling apart, and it's horrible, and that's really where the game starts in earnest. And you have, in terms of gameplay, you have these sort of two filters of, of basically detective vision. One is to look for biological things in any given area, and the second is to look for tech things, things you can hack, things you can scan. And you can basically jack into people's brains, into their like brain implant, and relive some of their memories. Which, if somebody is brutally mur- murdered, rather... Uh, you can imagine how much fun that is. Uh, so I it's thought you were like, speaking as someone, as like as someone who's been brutally murdered. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about my brutal murder. Uh, yeah, it's it's really really dark. Like it's one of those. Let's just say it starts out with like an incredibly graphic allusion to suicide, and like from there it gets a lot darker. It's it's bad stuff. It is bad 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 things that a you know. Very amoral corporate government will do to citizens who don't, you know, they don't really have much value for human life. And so there you are in this world. Incredibly dark. Incredibly compelling. Uh, It works as both a mystery and just sort of an aesthetic exercise of like, how bad can things be in a bad system of government? Well, let me show you. (laughs) Like, it's, it's, oh man. Yeah, so there there is a sequence where you jack into somebody's brain who was a former prisoner and a former uh, drug addict, and that's where the most uh, sort of horror imagery comes from. Oh, it's, this it's, is like Strange Days, the game. A lot, yeah. At least in, in sort of uh, this portion of the game, or this, this style of gameplay. And you have to kind of live through some of his worst memories, basically. It's bad. It's really Are those bad. memories like... <sighs> Not to get all like you know, tell you what the features of this awful yeah, thematic no, no, content, no, yeah, yeah. but like I'm just curious, like is it um more like cutscenes or is it more like you are exploring the memories? You're exploring uh, the memories. Okay, it's very this is this portion of the game is very layers of fear or PT, where mm-hmm. you're kind of going through areas and kind of figuring out what to look at or what to do next, a little puzzle style, and really terrible, possibly impossible things are happening during all of this. 
but it's it's very grounded. It's not layers of fear. I think was like four levels into the stratosphere with like the mad painter and his weird family and like i enjoy camp a lot so i had a lot of fun with it but this is much more grounded this is like there's murder and there's mistreatment of prisoners and there's a whole lot of abuse and there's a whole lot of this is how bad things could be if we all became cybernetic and our implants sucked because uh, the people who supplied them didn't make much money off of us so it's well, this is it's like rough yeah uh, since 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 Austin's not here, uh, I'll, I know. I'll do I, it. I'm sad he he can't. Uh, <laughs> I think he should play it too because cyberpunk yeah. obviously is is his thing. But like, because because I, I think a lot of cyberpunk runs into that problem where like even as it's trying to raise issues and concerns, it's also simultaneously trying to seduce you with like a techno romanticism uh, yes. that is sometimes like really ill placed. And I'm curious, like, does this game successfully evade that trap of cyberpunk? I think it does, because I think this is, uh, there's something I might might or might not be working on for the site, uh, and, and this is where, Patrick, I'm going to take your advice for, you know, doing a draft, basically, while I'm here talking, and then actually write that draft, but I think it is cyberpunk that is dark enough to be cyberpunk in 2017 to what early 80s cyberpunk was to the early 80s. Like, this is actually, like, a hundred times darker of a vision for the dark times that we live in now, basically. <laughs> like, it does have the, the nice sort of visual flair of something like Blade Runner. But you never feel comfortable in this world. I always felt sort of nauseated in this world the same way I did in Soma. Where, yeah, a lot of things maybe were cool. Maybe there were some cool aspects of this technology. But everything is used for ill. Everything is terrible and everything is bad. You know, like, the brain hacking is never, like a fun, cool thing that you can do with your friends. No, it's, it's somebody is like on their last legs and you're hacking into their brain to try to see if you can find who did this to them. It's, it's that sort of thing. And it's all unpleasant. That's um, cool. Cause that was one of my favorite parts of Soma was it's yeah. like the bat that yo technology, maybe it's bad or can be bad. <laughs> yeah. And that like how it explored the consequences of technology going bad or, or, or going, um, in cruel directions is that sounds fascinating because that was my favorite part of soma and so if if observer is playing in that space that and doesn't have i'm not running from big monsters for no reason that sounds pretty good <laughs> yeah pretty much i mean it's not it's not to say there are no monstrous figures in this but it's it's a very right. different type of game for when it comes to your finances you think you've done it all You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. So, yeah, I I highly recommend it. The only thing that I think is maybe a little bit, a little cheesy, there are uh, sort of interrogations you do at people's apartment doors. So in this world, everybody's kind of locked down in their apartment, uh, especially poor folks. They don't have much freedom to kind of move around. And you're sort of talking to people through their doors. And there's a few of those sequences that are like really hammy. Like, re- like, there's a guy yelling at his kids. He's just like, shut up already. And it's very like, okay, maybe, maybe that wasn't necessary. But I don't think it detracts much. It's, it's, and again, I sort of enjoy camp. So 
I didn't mind it, but that's the only thing that that isn't like really hardcore depressing <laughs> about this game. Um, and I think on on a completely opposite direction, I'm also playing a game that is the opposite of hardcore depressing, which is Uncharted Lost Legacy. Uh, we can talk about this as of yesterday, so I think it's cool to yeah. talk about it today. Um, and Patrick, I know you're playing it too, so I'll just give the the quick setup, and then maybe we can chat about it for a second. But this is Uncharted. It's basically Uncharted Four, honestly. Same, generally the same gameplay. You know, you're you're climbing things, you're stealthing around before you start shooting guys, and you're having really good banter with your other character. Uh, the thing that's different about this one, there's kind of two things that are different. The first is that the characters are really great. It's uh, Chloe, who is uh, voiced by Claudia Black and is sort of the awesome thief lady from Uncharted 2 and 3. And Nadine, who was uh, sort of, she was actually like a boss character in Uncharted 4 who just kicks uh, Nathan Drake's ass. And they're together on their own cool adventure and that's really cool. And it also has some actually not quite open world, but much more large and open areas to actually investigate and go look for things and you have the freedom to kind of go and find secrets uh, whereas the previous Uncharted games were almost always extremely linear. 4 did have a few sections that were a little bit more open, but this is wide, wide open, at least at certain parts. So Yeah, I mean, these games are de- these games are defined by their streamlined, uh, hold-you-by-the-hand cinematic nature. Like, that is, yeah. that, is, uh, that is part of the DNA of Uncharted, or at least has been for a long time. And actually, like, yeah, this... this there there were some sequences in Uncharted 4 where, like, you get in a Jeep and you could kind of drive around in a space, but you were still mostly going from point A to, to point B. Um, what they set up in Lost Legacy is, like, a pretty, for Uncharted standards, a pretty wide open uh, space in which you have three different temples you need to investigate in order to proceed to the next area. And you can kind of go about that in whatever order you want. You'll run yeah. into... Uh, you know, soldiers along the way. Um, they give you a reason to explore some of the nooks and crannies because there's sort of like a separate fourth temple where you have to collect 11 items and those 11 items are like hidden away in kind of puzzly locations. So you have like an incentive to kind of go exploring because often in Uncharted, uh, because everything is so handcrafted and beautiful, there's not really a lot of incentive to look around because... You're, the expectation is you're going to see the stuff the developers want you to see because they'll take you there. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, going to find the little treasures as a collectible, I guess, is one incentive, but that doesn't really work for me because I, I don't care about those collectibles <laughs> by and yeah. large. Um, whereas in this, like, I am incentivized and interested in exploring because I want to go solve the puzzles. I want to go see what the game um, is hiding um, to if I might get, like, you know, some sort of secret. Like, that's a, an objective that I find more fulfilling than just getting 60 collectibles for a trophy. (laughs) Um, And what I kind of hope is that this is an experimentation in trying to expand what a a Naughty Dog game is and taking in elements of not quite open world, but larger spaces. So, like, if this is a test run for a larger idea for, like, let's say The Last of Us 2, like, that's really exciting, especially because... I cannot stand the combat in the Uncharted games. It drives <laughs> sure. me up a wall. Like the moment shooting starts, I if I could pay $5 to just not do it anymore, like I <laughs> detest the combat. And I apologize if there's anyone on this podcast that I'm sorry I don't like your combat. I just, it doesn't do anything for me. And I actually loathe it 
and do not enjoy participating in it. Um, but I like the combat a lot in The Last of Us. Uh, I really enjoyed the dynamic they had set up in, in that game, especially relative to the Uncharted game. So the the question or the, the, the idea that like these larger open spaces could be part of what is coming in The Last of Us 2 is gets me... That idea gets me really, really excited. And to your point earlier of the banter, like the story it proposed so far in Lost Legacy, I'm you know I've played maybe three or four hours. Like it's eh, like whatever. Like it's it's <laughs> it's just a reason to go on an adventure. But the characters, like the banter between the two women, is so good and yeah. funny and interesting, and I can't get enough of it. And so for that. Uh, on those two levels of like the banter between the characters and the experimentation Naughty Dog is doing to expand the kinds of games they have made in the last 10 years or so, I, it it seems worth playing for, for both of those things, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I I um I was gonna say it, it almost feels a little bit like maybe this started life as story DLC. I don't know. I don't actually know that. I'm not proposing. I think they that. have said that it was supposed to be pretty oh, short, and okay, then okay. and then they just decided ah let's just they just kept growing in scope just making and then game became yeah. like this eight hour thing, and that's why I think it's forty dollars and not yeah yeah $60. it's not a sixty dollar uh, product which which is cool. I again I I also agree like experimenting a little bit with that formula is great since this this is the fifth main uncharted game. I know there was a PSP game as well. I didn't ever play that, but yeah, it's it's really cool and and to your point about the banter, there was actually I don't want to spoil anything, but there was a really lovely part where they they actually sort of acknowledged like, "Hey, you know what? It's really nice to work with another woman for once." And they kind of they had a little bit of banter about being like mansplained to, which was fucking awesome because it's you know it's these two characters who are both you know one's like this slippery thief and the other's like this hard-ass militant person and they bounce off each other in these really wonderful ways but once they start kind of getting along the banter gets even better and it's oh it's lovely there's there's only like one little potential issue there and it is so these are two women of color uh in this game and i could be wrong, but I think they're voiced by white women, and it's one of those where it's like, oh, diverse, you know, like, yeah, oh, yes, yes, definitely, you know, this is so awesome, two women of color, like, heading a, a fairly large-budget video game, and then it's like, oh, right, and and look, don't get me wrong, Claudia Black, I'm, like, number one Claudia Black fan uh, on Earth, like, got, got my little, like, card-carrying uh, Claudia Black fan club uh, <laughs> card right here, but... That is that is a little bit of a bummer when I sort of found that out that it was like oh right okay that's mm. so yeah <sighs> it's it's one of those two steps forward one step back kind of deals mm-hmm. that uh, I I do think is worth acknowledging and and I'm sure this will be a larger discussion at some other point but yeah wanted wanted yeah, to this, just this can, mention like that. I believe Neil Druckmann um, did he address had, it at some he's point not not for this game but when okay. like the, the, when it came up for Uncharted Four I can't remember. I mean, I think his explanation, uh, I'm paraphrasing, you know, fell along the lines of, well, like, the, the what's amazing about digital characters is anyone can play any character, which, like, I, like, I get, like, I get it. Yeah. But, like, I, but it's also more complicated than that. And right. I, you have to acknowledge that it's a little bit yeah. weird. Yeah. Like, I, it's not the same, like, it's not blackface, but but it's, it's complicated. But it's also like, not hiring... Can't... An actress of color to play a woman of color, like it's also right. that right. you know that part yes. of it. So yes, yes. Um, one one small thing that I really yeah. like about this game is uh, so uh, you know you have this is AI companion who will like fight along with you. Um, 
And and normally in these games, they don't really do much else. Like, they're there to maybe shoot some enemies, but otherwise they're kind of just there for banter. And I don't remember this happening in Uncharted 4, and I don't really remember this happening in, like, any game I've played with an AI character. But like, so, for example, there's a sequence where um, you have to go find five, uh, you know, objects you have to push oh, in order yeah. for a door to open. And so I'm off, you know, I found three of them. Um, and then on the other side of the map... Uh, she announces like, "Hey, I found one. I'll push it for you." Yeah. And like, she did it. And uh, there was another time where uh, you're often you know driving around this jeep and you're attaching um, uh, the jeep uh, with a rope to like the door so you can like winch him, winch them down so you can progress forward. And one time, uh, the other character was just like, "Hey, I got this. Like, I'll yeah. do it." And it's like that's it. It it made the characters feel so more uh real as though they are actual characters and not just someone that lines up a gun every once in a while it's like they were doing the things that my character was doing and they were helping me advance the you know goofy uh indiana jones objective of having (laughs) to find five of these objects and to turn them and it was just it was nice like i wish i wish more games had their characters actually accomplishing meaningful things um because it it's it was just uh it was a small thing but it added a lot to the way I connected with the characters and in, in the game itself. Absolutely. And she's and she's really useful in combat, too. She actually yeah. does a lot of stealth kills. Like, there have been times where, you know, you're playing as Chloe and I'm just, like, hiding out in the grass. And Nadine will just go up and, and kill, you know, stealth kill, like, three guys while I'm just sitting there. And it's like, hey, thanks. That's that's pretty useful. And that also helps a little bit with, you know, crappy gun combat because she, she can do some of the work and that's pretty nice. So mm-hmm. totally agree. All right. We're 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 probably only going to have time for one question bucket question. So, uh, so Patrick, you have a you have a number in your head between one and we're actually getting pretty far through this. Maybe we have like 40, 50. All right. 53. One in 53. Ah, uh, OK. Mm hmm. Say it was Uncharted Four, so forty. <laughs> mm, what's like a number I can attach? We'll just do forty. Four 40. zero forty. All right. This is uh, Daniel from Tacoma, uh, the space station. I'm assuming. I have a hypothetical that I'm curious to hear your thoughts. A lot of software and hardware has gone from the purchase business model to the leasing model, and generally, this comes from a business wanting to make something that requires higher manufacturing costs while still having a low barrier to entry for the average public. A good example, most people carry around a smartphone with an MSRP of somewhere between $500 and $600 because they can simply pay $20 to $30 a month uh, a fee for it. My question, let's assume the next generation of consoles comes out in a few years with this kind of business model. This is a higher quality device with a higher cost. And as such, you're given two options for your gaming experience. One, you pay the upfront cost of $500 to get your console and pay any monthly charges for internet associated with it along with the standard cost of games. You can pay a calculated monthly fee that includes the console as well as online fees and premium services that tend to come with consoles automatically bundled in. And I'm assuming the other option is to... Right. Okay. So you lump them both in there. But yeah, we understand. Uh, The upfront one or the, you know, pay every month. Which option would you choose? Uh, Especially the second option is what a cell provider or cable provider uh, does currently. And bonus question, would you pay a higher monthly fee to get new game releases as well? Keep in mind that since you're leasing all of the software, if at any point you cancel, you cannot go back and play any old games used through that account. 
I think it's inevitable, and there were rumors leading up to the release of the Xbox One that Microsoft was going to engage in some sort of subscription service um, mm. as a uh, means of getting more people to uh, like pay for a, a high-priced video game box um, with a monthly fee who don't have... You know, there are probably a, a lot of casual players that don't have as many hang-ups over, like, licensing and ownership of games. Like, that's something that's pretty specific to, like, people who are very into video games. Um, uh, there's probably a demographic of people that would be okay paying, you know, $12 a month to lease an Xbox One and lose access to those games when you stop paying the subscription. I think that's inevitably coming at some point, Um to video games and i i don't know if that means it'll be successful but i yeah. think at some point there's gonna be a hardware manufacturer that decides to play around with the idea of uh leasing out hardware um as a means of of getting it to a to a wider audience uh, i mean i would never do that i mean starting with this cycle of like phones me and my wife decided to just buck up and pay for it all up front which is extremely expensive but then yeah you're not paying any of the interest over two years and you can sell it at any time. Um, and so I'm more of the, I'd rather just pay for it. I want that. I, you know, I, even as I just said that there's probably an audience for leasing it. Yeah. I'm not that audience. I would just give it to me. I want to pay for it. And I don't want to deal with any of the bullshit that goes with like, <laughs> what do I own and what do I not own? But, uh, yeah. 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 I, I think I, I, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Rob. Well, I, th- I think a hurdle for this too, is just like, the other thing we saw with the Xbox One rollout is that like players are tend to be really conservative when it comes to like what video game consumption and purchasing and ownership looks like. And so there is kind of there are built kind of built in expectations uh, at this point that it will be it's going to be hard to sell people in that on that idea because I think players tend to be very sensitive to this idea that somehow they're going to be screwed in a deal like this, which by the way, they probably will be on some level. Like <laughs> this, the, this deal would be like tuned to be more exploitative than not. Like that's kind oh, of, yeah, you're, you're going to pay more money for something that you probably could get cheaper if you can pay for it up front. I mean, that's, that's the nature of how these serve, you know, they're not, they're not selling it at a loss. You know, right. they're, they're, you only devise a service like this because you think you can make more money off of someone. Right. So, like, I, I just I just think that while while I am certain there are a lot of smart people in the console business who would love to get things to move in this direction, I also think that trying to get players to give up on the idea of them having their games is going to be a tough sell. And yeah. so you'd really have to sweeten that pot quite a bit before people, like, get rid of the idea of having a collection. But I think that this way, like, I think Microsoft's moment for this uh, was when they made their original pitch for the, the Xbox One. And I think this would have, they made a lot of uh, really weird, questionable decisions at that time. But imagine if when they had announced the Xbox One, they also announced a partnership with Comcast. And and what uh, the partnership entailed was that instead, you know, for an additional $30 a month, you, you don't get a cable box, you get an Xbox One that is your cable box. And... Then that's bundled into your subscription, and you're getting access through Comcast, like a handful of like free games a month, and you can also buy games that you can play on your Xbox One. But it's like, hey, you get your TV and your game machine all at once, and you're only adding, you know, thirty dollars a month or whatever would have been like the fee that they'd be charging for that combined box. Like, 
that would have made a lot of sense for the vision they were pitching for that machine back then when it was like very much but, a media TV device. But who is your partner that you that you like that that works for that? Because people hate their cable provider. Like it's <laughs> it's one of those things where like that might be the way to go, except then the problem is you still got to stand there on a stage and be like, good news, everybody. You now have to get Comcast. You're welcome. <laughs> like, that's just not going to fly, right? So I think like, Sony, like, had a moment like that, like, years ago, where they announced, like, a partnership AT&T. with, like, AT&T with, for the Vita, and they... <laughs> <laughs> I think like the executive actually got fucking booed on stage <laughs> by like a group of like press and fans for like announcing an AT&T partnership. I think it was Kaz Harai got booed for the AT&T thing. I, yeah. I want to say that's true. I think you're right. Oh God. Yeah. I have to, I have to admit in all of this, I am an, an old person who hates all of the bullshit. I hate contracts that I don't have to keep, you know, to keep an eye on. Like it, it's just, the the least amount of hassle in my life, the happier I'm going to be. I also only ever want one machine ever, and it plays everything, and uh, I can play everything on a controller because I can't really use a mouse and keyboard. So I don't know how useful my opinion is in any of this, but I suppose I, I side with the whole idea of like, yep, uh, I like having my collection. I still have my NES games. Like I have my old, my NES. I have my SNES. I have my Dreamcast. I have my N64. I have every game I've ever owned still. And I, I like that. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, I, I think there are most, I think most people want things to be simple. And I think the pitch for this would be that it makes it simple, but I think instinctively we would know that it is not right like the reason the reason i need to pay like installment plan for my phone or something well i used to uh and i discovered the wonderful world of cheapo phones uh which by the way are awesome but like you know like buying a car is scary but you have to deal with that bullshit because like it's a really expensive thing that you probably can't afford up front a console is one of those things that is within reach of like a few months of saving you might be able to buy one of these things and then you don't have to think about it again. Whereas this model, I think all of us are know at this point how this, how this story ends. And it's with like, you know, your e-bill changing one month and not knowing why, right. Or having to call and be like, so why is, you know, why are, why is my video game subscription PlayStation? If you don't bring down the (laughs) monthly cost of my Xbox. Well, sir, uh, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, can I ask what aspect of your service you're unhappy with? And maybe we can, uh, maybe we can resolve that right here. I want you like, to keep going with this. Talk yeah. through like how far five different. Yeah, talk through like <laughs> five different layers of customer service just to like try to get back to what you're originally paying. Not a hell with that. It's oh god, yeah. It's giving me anxiety just thinking about this. About thinking about our dark future where everything is a different contract and monthly bill, and it makes me. Yeah, it gives me agina. Let's just put it that way. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do we have time for one more? Or do we want to, we want to call it a day? What do we think? Should, we're at it. We're at an hour. We should probably. All right. Let's, let's call that a day. Let's call Ajna a day. I think that's probably pretty good. Uh, well, you know, we talked about a lot of happy things too, so it's all right. We're, we're, yeah. we're doing all right. We're doing good. It's Friday. I'm very excited that it's Friday. I'm excited again that Austin is taking a summer Friday and, uh, we're going to do our usual goodbye. So, uh, Rob, where can we find you online? Uh, at Rob Zachman on Twitter. Fantastic. Patrick, how about you? Find me at Patrick Klepek. Fantastic. I'm at Danielle R.I. on Twitter. 
And I want to thank you, dear listeners, for listening to our podcast. Please do read our articles. You can find them all, waypoint.vice.com, digitalpyramids.com. I think there's a discourse.zone that goes to our stuff. That's a, that's a good one, too. Easy to remember, you know? City. All kinds of uh, beautiful uh, custom URLs that you can go to. And they all go to our articles. And we do appreciate it if you do your reading. That's your uh, summer reading assignment, basically. Want to say thank you to Bowen for letting us use his track "Miss You" off of the EP "Pale Machine." We want to thank all of you for read not reading. Excuse me. Following us on Twitter at Waypoint. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook Vice. Excuse me, Waypoint Vice. Wow, I am falling apart at the end of this episode. <laughs> I'm so sad to be leaving. You know what I'm saying? I'm having so much fun podcasting that uh that I'm sad to be leaving. But I guess that means I should just end it and say, be good. And be good at it. Peace. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.